Hey, this is Nathan Dawkin from Fantrax HQ, as well as the Nasty Cast and Fantrax Dynasty Baseball Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 126, Big Movie Review. Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers. You'll find us on Twitter at C McBrien or at Amaron underscore DM. And PopCultureWorld.com is our website, and you'll find all our contact information there. Derek Myers, my friend, I need you to keep me informed. What is new in the world of pop culture this week? Well, this has been a relatively slow pop culture week for me. We had the Oscars a few weeks ago, and not a lot of new stuff has come out. Uh, We don't have a lot of new TV shows. We don't have a lot of new movies. So... We're almost in like a dead zone for pop culture. And with that being said, it's given me an opportunity to dig into the archives and watch shows that maybe I have on my PVR or go through Netflix or Old Amazon. stuff like I like you. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, you know, it gives you that chance to go, oh, this is something I've been meaning to watch. Uh, or in my case, I have a huge backlog of podcast episodes that I just haven't been able to get to. Uh, you know, real life has been getting in the way. And finally, I've had a chance to get caught up on some of the episodes. So I want to give a shout out to one of the podcasts that I've been listening to. And they've actually contacted us a couple of times. And that's how I found out about them. And they're called Gen X Grown Up. Oh, they're a good show. Yeah, I like it. It's a very good show. If you listen to this show, you should check out Gen X Grown Up. They're really good. It's three guys that are probably closer to your age than my age, Chris, but they're Gen Mm -hmm. X guys and they pick topics from their childhood and their past. And sometimes they do like a top five list and sometimes they like do a deep dive into a specific topic. Other times it's just what's new in pop culture and technology and video games that might appeal to a Gen Xer. Uh, It's a little all over the map, but it works really well. And I've really enjoyed uh, their podcast. I listen to the new episodes. I've been digging back into their archives and they, I've been a few episodes behind. And this week I listened to one of their episodes that came out a couple of weeks ago. They did a deep dive on Columbia house record club. Do you remember oh, these? Chris? Where yes. Like 10 records for a penny. For a penny. Yeah. And then you get yeah. hit by one a month for the next year. Yes. Yes. So oh, again, cool. not a topic I would have ever sought out, but because these guys did it on their show, I so thought, cool. well, it's the next one in the lineup. I'll just listen to it. And my God, it was fantastic. It it brought up so many memories of my of when I was a member of these Columbia House record tape and CD clubs. They talked about uh, the business side of it and how much money was made and who was making money and how they made money and why these were successful and why they eventually went away. It was a really, really great episode that just delved into this topic that I didn't know I really wanted to learn about. So I would strongly encourage our listeners to check out the Gen X Grown Up podcast and specifically the Columbia House Record Club episode that dropped a couple of weeks ago. And hopefully uh, you continue to listen to their show. It's a str- it's a really strong program. I think you're really going to like it. Yeah, no, they do have a good show. And the funny thing is, like, you and I are not only podcasters, but we're also podcast fans. Like, I listen to lots of podcasts oh, yeah. all the time. So, I mean, I like podcasts. Okay, I want to touch base on something this week that is, okay, so we know that I'm stuck in the past. 
No this kidding. Is, this, yeah, this goes without saying. It's the whole point of the podcast, really. But um, one of the, the things that I want to mention right now is about technology. So I'm maybe a little bit behind on not just pop culture, but also technology, apparently. And so this became a very stark reality recently. So I was over to visit my parents and my parents have this nice new, because it's my dad's birthday. So I went over to visit my dad. It was great. I had a great, great visit with my dad. And he has this new TV, big, huge TV in the living room. Dad, look at the new TV. It's great. Yeah. Oh yeah, son. It's a big screen. I like that, whatever. And so he puts it on. Now he knows that I love Star Wars, right? The original trilogy. Well, he knows that I love the original trilogy too, right? So he puts on TV. He's he's going through the channels and he sees that Return of the Jedi is on. So he puts Return of the Jedi on. And he just, we we weren't even, I think the sound was even down. Like we just had it on because me and him were talking. I haven't seen him for a while. We're getting caught up. And so I'm trying to like have a conversation with my dad, but I'm also like kind of like looking at the screen because it's Return of the Jedi, right? And I'm like getting distracted because I'm like, what's going on like this movie looks awful like and and you know he has a really really big screen tv it's probably got to be close to 75 inches it's huge and i'm and i'm thinking like it looks so bad i'm like i remember return of the jedi just looking so good it just looks great the special effects are great you know even though it's 1983 it doesn't matter you go back and watch it and the special effects are great all the scenes look great and i'm watching it and i'm like what's going on it looks terrible it looks like the it looks like the characters are almost in like 3d and everything behind them look they look like they're on a green screen and the stuff is crap i'm like what happened to the special effects so i'm thinking in my mind that you know what maybe you know back then like i guess maybe the special effects that they used when you put it on a big screen tv you realize how crappy the special effects are and i'm just like oh my god and i'm kind of crushed and anyway so whatever we hang out go to bed wake up in the morning. My dad's like, oh, let's put on another movie. There's this movie that I really like. My dad, of all people, he's in his seventies, right? And he's like, oh, this movie I really like, son. It's called Crazy Rich Asians. And I'm like, oh, I've heard of that. I heard it's really good. He's like, oh, I love this movie. So he puts Chris, it on. Chris, that came out after 1990. How do you know about this film? I just, I heard it was good. You know, I haven't okay. seen it. Anyway, so my dad's like, I like this movie, son. We got to watch this. So he puts it on and I'm noticing the same thing. And I'm like, Look at it. It looks like it's like cheap 3D. It's like, what? This is the crappiest thing I've ever seen. Like, these people are like supposed to be talking to each other in a restaurant or a bar. And it just looks like this cheap special effects. I'm like, what is going on? So then I find out that it's 4K. The so, TV. Yeah. And I'm like, I didn't even know that this existed because I'm so far behind the times in terms of technology. So apparently there's this technology and apparently my dad's got one of the prototypes because it's so crappy that apparently this 4K technology makes, like it takes things and it makes them kind of look like they're almost like 3D, but it does it in such a way that it just looks like crap. Now, maybe this technology is advanced. I don't know. But the the TV that my dad has, like I say, must be some sort of prototype because it looked awful. It was like distracting. And I was like, is everything like this? So when you put on other shows, it does the same thing. It just takes a regular show and tries to make it 3D-ish. And it's just, oh, it's just awful. So anyway, I learn a new thing all the time. And not only am I behind on pop culture, but apparently I'm also behind on technology. Didn't even know what 4K was. There you go. Never heard I know of it before. That, yeah, I know that um, like my cable provider, I have a, a like an HD cable box, okay. but I also have a 4K TV, but my box is not capable of 
broadcasting 4K because I haven't paid for that hardware upgrade. Mm -hmm. So I'm not getting the full effect, but my father-in-law has it. And when you watch sports, especially NFL football, who, you know, the NFL is by far and away the reason a lot of the technology has advanced because uh, they have so many uh, dollars and cents behind these things. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it looks like you, it, it looks perfect. It looks like you are literally right in the game. You can see blades of grass. You can see sweat on the players' faces. The the live sports is absolutely the the reason 4K exists. It is so good. But I hear what you're saying. Some of the older stuff, when they try to like up convert it to 4K, mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily oh, doesn't translate work. as well. Yeah. But I will tell you, there are there are definitely options in the TV that you can adjust some of that stuff. And I know that for my father-in-law's TV, we did have to uh, play with the settings a bit so that regular TV didn't uh, look distorted or or like you were saying, crappy and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so again, uh, I know you don't visit your folks that often, but maybe the next time you're out, take a few minutes and uh, do some Google searches and see what kind of settings in the TV you may be able to adjust. It might help a little bit. So. Yeah, because my old man's one of those uh, traditional kind of guys that just doesn't read the instructions, you know? <laughs> so that's probably what's going on. As, as someone who <laughs> writes instructions occasionally for yeah, work, believe me, yeah. nobody reads instructions. It's, it's a... <laughs> Writing instructions is a thankless job because everyone would rather just say, I'll learn by doing. Exactly. I don't need that. I can find it. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, on that note, let's get started. Calm blue ocean. Calm blue ocean. Calm blue ocean. <laughs> it, there's a lot of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He's smoky in the band oh! shirt for you. <laughs> so, I loved it. I thought it was great. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad. Boof from Teen Wolf. Hot as a pistol. Wow, I know. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> I'm a big Dungeons and Dragons nerd. It's a shock that you never got more girls in high school. <laughs> Calm blue ocean. Calm blue ocean. Calm blue ocean. I don't know. That's a lot to unpack, Chris. Okay, give me a second here. <laughs> okay, so this week it was over to me. I nominated a, I think a little bit of a surprise for you when I mentioned it because you were like, oh, I haven't thought of that movie in a while. And I hadn't thought of this movie in a long time either. It's probably been 25 years since I've seen it. And even though I, I always say on the podcast, I watch the same stuff over and over again, and I totally do. But there's a lot of movies that I liked back from Gen X that I just haven't seen, like since I first really watched them or, you know, at least in 25 years, this was one of them. And I'm talking about 1988's Big with Tom Hanks, directed by Penny Marshall. So I, I made us go back and watch this thing. Do you want to start us off maybe with just some first impressions on it just overall, and then we'll kind of do a more of a deep dive into this movie? Uh, what do you think when you... Because you had seen Big, obviously, back, you know, years ago, yeah. right? So I I first saw Big on home video. I never saw in the theater. Um, again, I, it wasn't something I necessarily felt I missed. I was aware of it. But in the 90s, when I worked at the video store, I rented everything. And we got free rentals, so there was there was a rare movie. It was rare when there was a movie on the shelf that that I hadn't seen that I had even a mild interest in. So that was that was my first time seeing Big was in the late '90s on on home video, and I enjoyed it. I, I but I hadn't seen it in its entirety. Probably I think if I had to guess, I would say probably 1997, 98 ish. I rented it. I watched it start to finish. I went that was pretty good. And that was about the time when Tom Hanks won his Oscar for Philadelphia and he won his Oscar for Forrest Gump. So it was like, oh, let's go back and watch Tom Hanks back catalog kind of thing, which I mentioned we've done that. We used to do that at Blockbuster all the time. You'd pick and pick your favorite actor and you would just rent everything they've ever done. And that was most likely why I rented big. And 
I hadn't really thought about it much since then. Now, it does appear on cable television from time to time. And there are some scenes where you sort of have it. You see that it's in the lineup. You switch it over and you're like, oh, in the next five minutes, they're going to do this thing. I'll just watch this part. And then once that part's done, you're like, okay, I've seen I've seen enough. And then you switch it over and you'll watch something else. And that's sort of how I have absorbed this movie over the last 20 years. I've probably seen certain scenes six, seven, eight, nine times as it's appeared on cable. But I have not seen it start to finish since that initial viewing in the 90s. So when you asked me to watch it again, I thought, okay, why not? I'm sure there are parts that I have forgotten, especially around the very beginning, the very first 15 minutes, last 15 minutes. No idea. I know. I mean, the broad strokes I remembered, but the specifics, no memory whatsoever. The unfortunate thing was I didn't have a chance to watch this until today. And when I went to watch it through one of my streaming services, it wasn't available. It was it was available on demand through my cable provider, but they wanted an unreasonable amount of money. So I ended up finding a, a version online and I didn't realize until I was about two thirds of the way through. It was an extended director's cut oh, and it had an extra yeah. 20 to 25 minutes of footage because there's a few scenes I'm watching going. I really don't remember this right. scene. And some of them were like, this really feels new in, in a section of the movie that I feel I've seen a few times before. And so when I went online and it said the running time is like one hour and 48 minutes. And then I switched over how much longer is in this movie. And it said, this movie runs two hours and 11 minutes. So I'm like, okay, I've got 20 minutes of extra footage here. What's up with that? So during our discussion tonight, I may reference scenes that you know nothing that about. I've never heard of. Yeah, that'll be yeah, interesting. You got to keep me Very honest cool. on that one. I but will for sure. There were certainly some scenes I felt, oh, this really feels like it's slowing the movie down. And and I thought, well, this must be an extra scene that the director felt the same way about and just deleted. And, and in many cases, when you go back and watch a director's cut, it's a cash grab by the company. They want to make more money. So they release a director's cut. We call it a nerd tax. If it's your favorite movie, you're going to pay the nerd tax. And you're going to buy the new version. Lucas is the absolute best at the nerd tax. I think I've paid for Star Wars <laughs> seven or eight times in right. my life on various formats in home video, on DVD, on Blu-ray, on Laserdisc, a special edition, extended edition. Lucas is the master of the nerd tax. And I think – in this case, uh, what you find with with a lot of movies when they release these director cuts is there's a really good reason a lot of these scenes are deleted. They just – they're not necessary. They don't necessarily add value to the movie. In many cases, they slow down the pacing, which for some movies is a real problem. And I think with these – with the extended footage that I saw in Big Tonight, a lot of the extra scenes just really felt to – they felt like it bloated the movie. So I think Penny Marshall, in her infinite wisdom, assuming it was her – decided we've shot all this extra footage that we don't need and they had originally cut it out. So, uh, so again, I watched the movie tonight and it was almost like watching it for the first time because I did see all this extra footage, which I kind of regret watching now the, the extra footage, the movie itself. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it the first time years ago. I definitely enjoyed it again tonight, but there were certainly some themes and some scenes that were somewhat problematic or that were clearly of the age. And we talk about this every time with old movies. Sometimes we do, yeah. just, it is what it is. And if you, you need to remember if a movie is shot, what year was this one? 88? 88 came out, yeah. 88. So it was made in 87, 88. It was released in 88. And so things I might, I don't want to say offense, but things I might take issue with based on today's standards 
were not necessarily the same standards in 88. So it's not that I'm going to give it a pass, but I need to be mindful that it wasn't an issue then. And so you can't hold the creators of the movie accountable for a 1988 decision by today's standards. Now, so one of the things that we've talked about again and again is the smoking. <laughs> it just blew me away yeah. how many characters were smoking. They were True. smoking in the office. They were smoking inside. And by today's standards, it's like nobody smokes. And when they do, they go outside. And to just smoke at the dinner table, it's like it's unheard of in, quote, polite society these days. It's it's a real rarity. So that's one thing to me that always dates a movie is the is the uh, the smoking. So that's certainly. And then there was the and, and I want to get into this later. Not right now. The sure. whole idea of the the gender roles, especially mm-hmm. the role of women in this movie was by today's standards atrocious in many cases there was a lot of problems with the way women were treating this mm-hmm. movie again you look at it through the 1988 lens some of these things i hesitate to use the word forgivable but they were of the time and it's not to say they were right then but that's the best you could get in those circumstances and by today's standards you look at some of the stuff and you're just appalled by how some of the the women characters in this movie are treated and some of the decisions that are made and some of the things that are said that it's just well, that's the way things were, and that was okay. So, anyway, th- those are sort of my initial thoughts. I liked it, but I had definitely have some reservations. There are mm-hmm. some scenes that I love, love, loved. There are some scenes that I had some issue with, and um, I, I want to hear more about why you wanted me to watch this. What did you love? What did you hate? We'll talk about some of the specifics mm-hmm. as we go through it, and, and we'll deep dive into the movie too. You know, one of sure. the things that, like when, when I nominate these films. I'm especially these these ones that I haven't seen in a long time. I'm always worried that about these old movies being dated, you know. And so I I went into this one thinking the same thing because I hadn't seen it like I say in 25 years. So I put it on and I'm like, oh god, is this going to be dated? And the movie opens up with uh, the, the the young Josh character. He's playing a video game, and it really dates the movie because yeah. the video game is like this like crappy you know graphics. Remember the ice cavern with like the evil wizard? And I'm like, oh, these graphics are so bad. I'd love to know what Yancey thinks of those graphics. We'd have to ask him. Yeah. But, you know, you just get past that. And and, and just a couple of initial things. The casting is so good in this movie. Oh, exceptionally good. Yeah. Except, you know, I will say there was one that stands out to me that wasn't good. And that was the young Josh. You know, like, I think he has the same hair as Tom Hanks. But that's pretty much where the similarities and his hair was his hair was dyed. Apparently, he's a natural blonde. Yeah, yeah, he did. He dyed it for the dyed right. it. For the it just he yeah. had that kind of like rough, you know, rumpled kind of hair. But um, the thing for me is Tom Hanks shows just this youthful exuberance throughout the movie, and he has more youthful exuberance than the kid does. I, I think I would have liked to just see you know a little more at the beginning of of how this kid is just a kid. Instead, the the opening of the film is mostly about him. He's kind of glum. You know, like he's embarrassed by his parents and he doesn't drive and he's not tall enough to get on the ride. And and I totally get it because that's what sets up the premise of the film. But I just wish we could have seen him be a kid a bit more, you know, just to really tie together the performance that Tom Hanks gives. But speaking of Tom Hanks and speaking of casting, like the thing is, too, you, you have to go back and realize the time that this movie came out. And at the time, Tom Hanks was a comedic actor. He was known yeah. mostly for... He was the Bosom Buddies guy. Yeah, like Bosom Buddies with Peter Scolari, and he was in Splash and Bachelor Party. And 
I, it's funny because now a lot of people consider Tom Hanks to be the Jimmy Stewart, you know, of his generation. But at the time that this came out, he was just a comedic actor who was in some pretty goofy roles. And I think a lot of people look back and say that his performance in Philadelphia, which you've already mentioned, you know, and it earned him an Oscar win in 93, right? I think a lot of people look to that movie as the transitional period for him. Like yeah, from absolutely. comedic actor to to someone that people consider to be like a well-rounded, well-respected actor. But I would argue that this movie marked that transition. And we're, we'll touch base on that more on the pod here. But, but don't forget too, like he was nominated for an Oscar for this movie in 88. You know? Yeah. I, I, you know what I didn't look up was who ran against, who was else was nominated in that so year? Dustin right? Hoffman, he didn't win. But who Dustin, Dustin Hoffman, Hoffman won for Rain, Rain Man. Man. And other than okay. that, there wasn't a lot of competition. I mean, Gene Hackman for Mississippi Burning. Edward James almost for Stand and Deliver and Max von Sydow for uh, Pelly the Conqueror. So, like, he had a pretty good shot. But, I mean, Dustin Hoffman was taking home that trophy that night. There was no yeah, question. Dustin Hoffman's Oscar was a makeup Oscar for all the things he had been yeah. overlooked and, for. And, and it was there a was great, no great performance. It was a great performance, Oh, it was too. good, but, so, you know. But, but, yeah. but I think it gets kind of lost because we think of Tom Hanks and his relationship with the Oscars as, well, Philadelphia. That's the first because he went from being a comedic actor to being dramatic and then he was nominated for an Oscar and won. He was actually nominated for an Oscar for Big, you know, in 88. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. So so, so for me, it's Tom Hanks and the other one is Penny Marshall, the director. And she didn't really oh. direct a lot. She started out directing a couple episodes of Laverne and Shirley, but as far as feature films go, it was like this one, Jumpin' Jack, Flash. She did Awakenings League of, and A League of Their Own. Yeah. yeah. But really... That was about it. So not really exactly a stellar list, to be sure. But I, I would say that the casting and the directing in this film are really, really, really good. So that was some of the things that I just wanted to say just to kind of kick things off. And I'm sure you agree with it. I yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that was one of the things that, um, you know, you, you hear in today's pop culture world, there's not enough women making movies. And that's absolutely true. And you look back and Penny Marshall here in the 80s, um, you know, obviously had the the clout that came from her years of being in television and being, uh, you know, Hollywood royalty, if you will, with her family connections and and their friends. And and, you know, she was she she earned definitely earned these opportunities to to make movies. And she did like the big is a great movie. It's a staple. It's it's one of these ones. Uh, there's uh, the the guide a thousand movies to see before you die and so i'm always interested whenever we watch a movie i look up the trivia and you keep seeing these things oh this is on the list of a thousand movies you must see and and of course big is one of the ones on that list and rightly so because it's yeah, great I get it. and yeah and and just to know that penny marshall as a woman at that time was able to make this movie and and had the ultimate decisions about who to cast and and all of these decisions that uh you know were characteristically male driven decisions. And here in this movie, uh, she's got this opportunity and she just like hits a home run. And it's great to know that, uh, you know, despite the fact that there were, there were, and still are few female filmmakers that are achieving that level of success here in 1988, she, she has this massive hit. So it, it was very refreshing to be reminded of that. Mm -hmm. Now, like I said, it's probably been 25 years since I've seen this movie, <clears throat> but I have to say, so I, I put it on and I'm watching it. I honestly don't remember there being a dad in the movie. Yeah. For yeah. some reason, no, I, I, just, I thought Mercedes Rule's character was like a single mom. 
And so I watched it the other night and I, I got to say, I was shocked because there's a dad and he yeah. doesn't really do much. I mean, he's with them at the carnival, but any later scenes, like what, after Tom Hanks comes into the picture, the dad is basically like non-existent. Yeah. Um, but the, and the it, dad calls him son. So this is one thing that always bothers me in television movies mm-hmm. is when there's trying to establish to the audience, the relationship between characters and parents refer to their child as son or daughter. Like, I don't think my dad has ever referred to me as son ever. He's called me by my name. Like, you know, it's never son, sit down. We have to have a talk. Mm -hmm. It would be like, Derek, right. You have to see, we need to chat about this. And I found that the two or three times when the dad character early, especially at the carnival was referring to Josh, he kept calling him, okay, son, I think you need to do this. And it's like, okay, I get it. You're the dad. And to your point, the only time he speaks to him, he calls him son, and then he doesn't have any more lines or dialogue. And I mean, he's not an important character in the overall story arc of the film. I get that, but mm-hmm. it just felt so forced to have the dad call him son. It would have been better. You were mentioning <clears throat> Penny Marshall and some of the decisions that she made and some of the scenes that she cut out. I think it would have been more interesting at the beginning of the movie to cut the dad right out of the picture. Maybe, Be- because but I think the- this was 88, right? Like mm-hmm. you didn't have as many... True single parent family units at that time. I mean, they were definitely there, but I don't think you saw as much representation in pop culture, not nearly to the extent that you did even five or 10 years later. But I just think like, just when I think back to this movie, I always thought that she was a single mom. Like I just like, you know, when he goes back into the house in, in one of the early scenes, like he confronts her. And then when he goes Whenever he calls the house, he's talking to her. When he goes home, you hear her voice. So it just would have been nice if they cut him out. The intro to the film is really short, and that really struck me too because they get right to it. It's only about yeah. 10 minutes into the movie, and the kid turns into Tom minutes, Hanks. Yeah. Right, yeah. And, and so I'm watching with the, the movie with my wife there the other night, and, she's, and so Tom Hanks comes in, and she's like, wow, Tom Hanks was really hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess so. Um, so, well, Chris, I've always said you look a lot like Tom Hanks. Well, there you go. So I guess I guess, <laughs> I guess it makes from a lot of sense. Up, from yeah. the neck up. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, and so, the ankles down. Exactly. At the, <laughs> at the extremities only. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned earlier we were talking about Tom Hanks and, and, and recognizing the time that this movie was set. Another thing about this around this time, there was a bunch of these like body swapping movies that came out. Remember there was Vice Versa. Like father, like son, and eighteen again. Yep, and Chris, it's, that's it's you're funny. stepping on my trivia, buddy. Oh, sorry, but it's like it's like <laughs> it's like tr- like it's like Hollywood just kind of recycles itself in like yeah. in, in bunches, you know. Oh, absolutely. But absolutely. but the thing was, all these movies kind of came up. But the difference with Big is that there's no other person that swaps the bodies and swaps the roles, right? right. Like I mean, like the characters in those other movies, they had to try and almost like pretend not to act their real age. You know, yeah. like they're actually somebody else trapped in the body and it, it, as opposed to this, which was just the same person at a different age, right? And so so this movie, it's like the opposite, like about a kid that just instantly turns into an adult, but still acts like he's a kid, you know? And, yeah. and, and probably for me, and we're going to get into this a bit later, uh, hopefully is the biggest difference for me is that it's all about the differences in the two worldviews between a kid and being an adult that really give this movie it's kind of material to work with you know a couple of interesting things i was digging up on it too is that um deborah winger 
was attached to the the picture at one point and she wanted to um to make the character be a female yeah yeah i read that too and it's like you you definitely need to really think about that with it when it's the 12 year old boy 12 i think he's supposed to be 12 or 13 yeah becomes the grown man and has the affair with the woman who is obviously an adult you you don't again it's a, partly a product of its time and partly just the double standard of gender um it doesn't seem wrong it didn't seem wrong at the time you sort of look at it now there's definitely some moral implications here but it, you sort of are like okay I, I, you know it is what it is but i think if you had switched those and it was a girl who became a woman and then there was a 30 year old man that she has an affair with like mm. that would just seem That's a problematic. creepy. Yeah, it would be it would not be acceptable. Even the fact that it's like, well, you know, if physically she is, but it's like mm-hmm. it's still yeah. that's that's a, a weak excuse to have this this issue. And and again, it's that double standard where, well, it's the boy. All the guys are nodding going, yeah, dude, high five. Good mm-hmm. job. Whereas if it was a woman, you'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. This is just creepy and wrong. And it's unfortunate that we have that double standard because really it shouldn't be right in either case. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we will often bring up when we go back and look at these movies is some of the people that were considered, you know, for some of the roles. A lot of casting what ifs on this one. Oh, lots of because um, uh, Steven Spielberg's sister, Anne Spielberg, actually wrote the script. For this oh, movie. I didn't know that. Yeah, she, she was nominated for an Oscar for it as well, for a Best Original Screenplay. And because of those ties, Harrison Ford was actually yeah. going to be brought I, in. And Spielberg was that. actually going to turn down it. the part. Yeah. yeah. He, then he's like, yeah, he didn't want to do it. He dropped out. And um, a couple other ones like Kevin Costner and yeah. Dennis Quaid, Warren Beatty. I heard Robert De Niro was like the front runner for a long time, but they couldn't afford him. Robert De Niro. Or he asked for too much money and they were like, we we just can't do it. Yeah, my understanding was Robert De Niro had the part and they were ready to go. Can you imagine this as Robert De Niro? Like, Yeah, I know. I mean, it's so different. So the older Robert De Niro has has engaged in some comedic films. So like the Meet the Parents series is a good example or analyze this and they didn't they did analyze that. So De Niro can be funny, but I find he's, his humor always seems to stem from him being the straight man working with someone else. Like he works with yes. Billy Crystal. Billy yes. Crystal is funny. And De Niro is a good setup man for Crystal's humor. Like that were, or Ben Stiller. Or Ben Stiller, well, I'm not yeah. a huge fan of, but Ben Stiller is funny. Regardless of if you love him or hate him, he's funny and he's yep. talented. Yep. And if you're going to have Ben Stiller be the comedic guy and you have De Niro be the straight man, that works. But to have De Niro as the funny guy in big – I just – I don't think it would have worked the same way. I, I just – I have a hard time. Now, I'm, again, he's a gifted actor, mm-hmm. and you never know. Maybe it would have been a total change in his career arc by taking on Big and being the lovable comedic, oh, my God, this is the grown-up Josh. But based on the work we've seen from him, I, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't think a, it would have worked. Yeah, he's a method actor if ever there was one. But, yeah, I couldn't imagine him pulling it off. <clears throat> but anyway, going back and watching this movie – there was some scenes in here, I got to admit, like where I just, I literally burst out laughing. Oh yeah, for sure. And one of the first was right near the beginning of the, of the film when uh, he first turns into an adult and he goes back into his house. Yes. And his, and his mother sees him and she thinks he's a strange man who's just walked into her house. And so her reaction is just, she just looks at him with horror and he sees her reaction so he runs outside and he wipes his feet off. He wipes his feet. And I just started laughing. I just thought, like, it genuinely made me laugh. There was just such a, like, like a tinge of innocence in that scene. I just loved it. And then there's an even better reaction that he gets 
from his friend when Josh goes to see Billy during gym class yes. and yes. he corners him in the storage room and he tells him he's like I'm Josh and Billy's like Coach Barnes he's like screaming <laughs> it made me laugh because his reaction is just so real and then yeah. he even starts crying the kid Billy which as a 12 year old you would you that's would. the right reaction yeah like it's just so it's just such a, a great moment and it's their secret song that they share yeah and then that's when Billy knows, wow, this is really Josh, right? <laughs> and then they go to the St. James Hotel, and yeah. Billy is... It's religious. A, yeah, it's St. James. It's religious. <laughs> it's got to be good. And they get in there, and again, Tom Hanks is left alone because Billy's got to get home, right? And Tom Hanks hears, like, gunshots and the yelling, and you, you think, like, again... It's, it goes back to Penny Marshall's direction and Hanks's performance because at this point, they, that can just be played strictly for laughs. You know, yeah. oh, there's gunshots, there's yelling. No, he goes and sits in the chair and he starts crying. And right yeah. away, that's when I realized, like, after all these years, how good of a performance that Tom Hanks gives oh, in yeah. this movie. Like, my yeah, yeah, yeah. goodness. And then, there, again, another thing that really made me laugh was <clears throat> right after that, when he, they're, they're looking, he's looking for a job. So he opens up the want ads and he yeah. sees that Macmillan toys. And then Billy and Josh are like, toys. And then they get that little handshake. And they do a little handshake, yeah. <laughs> so I just, I just genuinely laughed at it, you know. Nice. Oh, so many good parts of that. Um, but anyway, so he gets hired there. And then the guy that walks him into the office for the first time, my wife yeah. is like, I recognize that guy. Yeah, I know that guy. Did Who's you that recognize guy? him? I'm like, I'm like that's Doogie Hauser's dad. No, no, it's no, the no, dad. No, no, no. He was... Beverly Hills 90210. Yes, that's. I knew it was one of those shows. And she's yeah. like, oh, yeah, it is. Because I remember him from uh, Trading Places as well. He had a walk-on part in that. Really? I don't remember him from that. So I've been trying to convince my wife to let our 10-year-old son watch this movie. And I remember, I think it was last week. I don't know if it was when we were recording the pod or not. I think we talked about it a little off the air. After, you were saying, yeah. tell me about this. Because yeah. I remember you, you had mentioned that you were like, you know what? A 10-year-old would have a completely different perspective of this movie. And I agree with oh, you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, granted, it had been a long time since I'd seen it, but I thought it would be appropriate for my son to, to watch. And then, we're, so I said to my wife, like, let's watch it together and decide, right? And then um, Tom Hanks starts working at the, the company and John Lovett's character yes. says, says, he says, see that girl down there? She'll wrap your, her, her legs around you so tight you'll be begging for mercy. And my wife was like, our son is not watching this film. Yeah, but the very next line diffuses that, where he's like, well, then I'm going to stay away from her. Yeah, I'll be sure to it. stay away from her. That's perfect. <laughs> I know. That's abs- so this is one of the things that I really, really enjoyed about this movie was just the way the Hanks character, even though he's got an adult body, is clearly still a child. And is still a child who is sort of just on the cusp of puberty where he sort of is starting to get a sense of some of the things that adults should understand, but clearly does not. And just the way he reacts and answers questions and the innocence that is still there because his character, his, you know, the childlike innocence is still there and scene after scene after scene, it's, it's played for laughs because in many cases it's quite funny when he misunderstands a double entendre mm-hmm. or an implication because he doesn't have the life experience or the maturity to understand what's really being asked of him. And um, and to me, that that's one of the, the real wins of this movie is that they continue to hold on to that even as he – starts to embrace this job and embrace this life and he he gets the girlfriend it's like 
he's still at heart a child and lacks the experience that someone of that age would have. And it really works. And it, and they don't they don't forget to remind you of that. There's always a scene every few minutes where he just does something where you're like, as an adult, that's inappropriate. But as a child in an adult's body, that would absolutely be the only way you would know how to handle that situation. And and that I think that's one of the enduring qualities of this movie. That's why it works so well and why it stood stood up for so long. I agree. I agree. I'm- Everything that you just said. Yeah. Um, so again, other parts that I was kind of chuckling at when he goes back to the hotel and he's watching the French Connection on TV and he's eating yeah. like the cream filling from the inside of the Oreo cookies. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, like this is what I would do if I was a kid and suddenly thrust into being an adult. And then he gets his first paycheck and he's like, $187. And Lovitz is like, yeah, they really screw you around here, don't they? <laughs> and he goes to the bank. And he gets it in like three dimes, a hundred dollar bill and 87 ones. Oh, I know. That's, so I fun. love that. Oh, Again, but, that's, that is a thing a kid would do who has never had that much money at one time. And then what do they do? They go on as he goes with his buddy, they go on a spending spree, they buy toys, they buy junk food, they, they get pizza. What else would you do if you were 12 years old and someone dropped $200 in your lap in the mid eighties? Like, what are your options? Well, that's the most sensible option at that age. So that made perfect sense to me. And it really goes back to the script. Like, it's such a well-written script. Absolutely. I mean, it was nominated for an Oscar, like I say, and and for good reason. Um, But yeah, it just, oh, it's so good. So so one of the things I think you would do if you had, uh, you know, 200 bucks is you'd go to FAO Swartz, which is what he does. And that, to me, is where you really see Tom Hanks being a kid. And it's so yeah. great. He's he's riding the zebra, and he's playing laser tag. Playing laser tag. That That's my favorite scene of the movie. If I turn it's so on good, cable, isn't it? If I turn on Big on Cable, and I realize that scene hasn't happened yet, and it's coming up in the next 10 or 15 minutes, I'm glued. I'm like, okay, I got to watch until – I mean, there's the iconic piano scene, which is the definitive point of this movie, is, is Robert Loggia and Tom Hanks – doing um the scene on the piano uh um oh my god what's the name of the song oh it's heart and soul heart and soul uh heart and soul there you go um the heart and soul and then they do chopsticks and like that scene is great and you read the behind the scenes trivia about like how they had stand-ins ready to do the scene if those guys couldn't do it and once they saw the stand-ins they're like we're getting this like we are not giving they did it in basically one take yeah yeah, and so there's good. a little there's a little screw up in there, but I mean that just made the scene all yeah, more authentic. They left it in. Those they... guys at that age would not be perfect, and they weren't. They were pretty good, but they weren't perfect, and that's that again speaks to the to the characters. And yeah, that whole it's got to be more than a five minute sequence where they're in the FAO Schwartz and he's playing with the toys, and then the guy he finds him, he's like, "You work for me, don't you?" And he asks him <laughs> the questions. Yeah, it's like that, and that's of course a you can't see this Ooh. on a marketing report. He's yeah. like, "What's a marketing What's a report?" Marketing report, exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> so no, it's good. it's it, by all means. If someone says like, "What's the best scene in that movie?" That that whole FAO Schwartz scene ending with the piano, that's the best scene in the movie, hands down, no argument. There's no way you could convince me that that's not the best scene of the movie. And 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 again, it's the script and it's the directing because you go from that. I agree with you, by the way. You go from that scene, which is probably the best scene in the movie, the most iconic scene when they're playing For on the sure. piano and stuff. Sure. And it's so youthful and it's so exuberant. And yeah. immediately it flips into the adult world. And it's yes, all about who absolutely. has the biggest office. It's all about promotions. It's about job titles. And that's where this movie, for me, really comes through with a powerful message and it's it's not just like another forgettable body swapping movie like 18 again 
or vice versa, like we said before. And the thing is, adulthood as a whole, it's it's full of disappointments, you know? Like all the things that you thought that were going to be really magical or really empowering as a kid turn out to be kind of mundane and somewhat soul sucking <laughs> as an adult, you know, <laughs> and like, Chris, you're, you're adulting wrong, man. Come on. Well, when you're a kid, you think there's, uh, there's always something you look forward to. Sure. You know, as an adult, I think a lot of times people just wonder like, is this it? Like, is this all there is when you're a kid and you don't know what's coming next? That's good. That's a good thing. When you're an adult and you don't know what's coming next, it's bad. Yeah. You know, yeah, like for the most part, for most of us, you know, like as a kid, you live day to day. You don't have the care in the world. Well, you and know? I think we, we've said before many times on this podcast, uh, the phrase coined by Yancey where nostalgia is a powerful drug. And this is it. It's that nostalgia for a time, when, a simpler time when you were younger and you didn't have the responsibilities. You didn't know what was ahead of you. And that's the things where now as a 40 plus year old man and I go to the store and go, oh, my God. There's a Snake Eyes action figure from G.I. Joe. I must buy it. It's like, well, I don't need it as a 40-year-old man to go and play with it, but it reminds me of a time when I was a child and I had it. And and I think that this movie definitely tries to encapsulate that idea of, you know, what is great about being a kid and when you're an adult, how do you hold on to that to, to um, keep that youthful exuberance? And, I, and again, I think the movie does a really good job of that, even though by towards the end, Tom Hanks's character is bogged down with with workload and he, he has to you know sacrifice time with his friends because he realizes he has responsibility. And I think that's part of the message that eventually everybody has to grow up. Right. Um, but it it's. It nails it. It does it in a way that's not too overbearing and doesn't take the movie right off the rails. But at the same time, you have that um, infectious childlike innocence almost rubbing off on the other characters that are close to him where, you know, they, the more time that they spend with Tom Hanks' character as a grown-up, the more the grown-ups start to loosen up and remind themselves that it's okay to have fun. And from time to time, you need to look through the the eyes of your childhood self to to get a different perspective and and i think again that's part of what works so well about this movie is is it's not just the tom hanks character that goes through this story arc it's all the supporting characters i agree and and i think we'll loop back to this a bit in a bit but the other thing i would just want to mention is when you're a kid you know you kind of think that being an adult is like going to give you like the power and the ability to do, to do whatever you want you know and that's just not the case because as an adult, you have responsibilities. You got people that are counting on you to come through for them. And when you grow up too, the thing is, is it happens slowly over time. And then one day, you know, a lot of people just realize that you're you're, you're kind of stuck and you don't have that power that you, you, you thought you might. You know, you don't have the freedom that you thought you might. You don't get to enjoy life in the same way. And, there, and there's no Zoltar machine to magically save you. You know what I mean? But it's a process. This movie is actually pretty deep when you think about it. It is to me anyway. Yeah. It's not yeah, just a comedy, sure. you know? So I want to take a second to talk about the character, specifically about um, Billy and Josh and their mm-hmm. dynamic. Sure. So I, I, let me ask you this. If it had been Billy who made the wish to get big and Josh, who was still the kid, Mm-hmm. Based on what we saw of these characters in this movie, do you think the movie would have worked? No, it wouldn't because because the whole point is is that um, Billy's character is much more savvy 
Yes. Yeah. Much more more mature. Yes. um, A a little less innocence. And you do see a very small snippet of Billy's home life where his mother, again, this might have been one of the deleted scenes where the mom was like chewing out the family for, you know, I do all these things and nobody does anything for me. That was cut out. That wasn't in the version I've ever seen. So that was that was a scene that I didn't remember seeing before. But in the scene, um, Billy is like serving the dinner and clearing the table and and it's this large family with a lot of kids and the mom is like chewing out the family that you know i do all this work and i come home and i have or i guess she probably was a stay-at-home mom given those days but she's complaining that she does all the work yet billy is also taking on some of that responsibility and getting no acknowledgement for it but the the idea there is that he's mature beyond his years he's he's already feeling the pressures of responsibility because he comes from this large family where it seemed like he was the oldest kid and i think that that uh was an interesting dynamic to play off of tom hanks character who was the oldest of two kids with the second kid being a baby who's just come along so you figure most of his life he's been the only child he's had both parents at his disposal all the time it doesn't seem like he's ever wanted for a thing his family does it seems to be financially quite comfortable and, um, yeah, the fact that he's the one who becomes the adult, it's a very eye-opening experience because he's got to do things that he's never had to do before. He's got to consider options he's never had to consider before, whereas his friend it has a little bit more sort of streetwise about him. He he understands that, you know, there's – like when they're trying to find the Zoltar machine, it's like the friend is like, hey, we can go to the department of whatever and ask the questions yeah. and there's a bureaucracy and there's rules and if we follow the rules, we'll get the answers we want. And, you know, it's when they're looking for a place to live, it's like he suggests the hotel and- He gives almost, them direction. He gives yes, them direction. Like, and he and, says, he goes, you have to yeah. go in the city and lay low. Yeah. And it's, it's like, he's got this, this friend who, although they're, I think he says at one point, he goes, I'm two months older than you or something. So it's clear that- Yeah, the it's same, three months, yeah. The same grade, they're neighbors, they're best friends. Yet, despite all of these similarities, the friend is clearly more mature uh, and more uh, educated in, in the ways of the world, if you will. And uh, at, initially, Josh needs this direction. Like he says, how am I supposed to do this without my parents? Because mm-hmm. it's clear that he's never had to rely on himself before. And through the course of the movie, he obviously starts to learn. And, and, and eventually, he, he turns the best friend away as he starts to live, live his own life. And that's an important turning point for the character where you realize he's starting to let go of that childlike innocence as he starts to mature and understand and take on responsibilities. He gets a girlfriend and he gets a promotion at work. But ultimately at the end, he realizes I'm still a 12-year-old kid and I miss my mom and I want to go back to my old life. And when presented with the option to go back, he does. And I think you need that conclusion because I don't think it would have worked if he had stayed as an adult. And even the girlfriend at one point says something like, well, you know when, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, no, of course, you wouldn't know that if you're only 12. Right. So. And and I agree with everything you said. And and you, you, not only do you need Billy's sort of savviness, you know, there to kind of guide Josh in the early part, but you need Josh's innocence or none of these scenes work. Yeah, like, like the whole scenes with him and Susan, when, when, when Susan comes back to his apartment, none of that would have worked if it would have been Billy's character. Right. You needed that innocence there. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He like he offers her a, a soda out of the vending machine. Then they go on the trampoline and then she's like, they quote sleep over, but they're on bunk beds. So they're clearly not sleeping in the same bed. And it's yeah, it's that. Well, if you're 12 years old, this is your understanding of of the world. Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't know about sex. You don't know that when she says, can I stay over? She really means more than just sleep in a different bed than you. <laughs> right. Uh, 
Yeah. And, and speaking and, of that innocence too, that it goes right into that, 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 the scene with the, where they were at work and they had the party and yes. he's wearing the white tux. Oh, I, the great tuxedo. I love it. I think most people would say that the white tux is their favorite part of the party scene or the most memorable anyway. But for me, well, I like when he's eating two things. Yeah. First, yes. he eats the mini corn. Yeah, and he, which uh, apparently was completely ad-libbed, not oh, in the script. Totally looks like it was something he improvised. But the best for me is when he eats the caviar <laughs> and his reaction. <laughs> God, He's like, why would anyone eat this? Like, you just think this this reaction he has. But uh, but again, with, it all comes down to his innocence because she comes on to him at the party. And he's yes. a kid. He doesn't, he doesn't get, get it. it, but she yeah. does, yes. But John Hurd, his character gets it. You know, yeah. and you just and know John Hurd's going to kill him, right? Yeah. And then they get in the car, him and, and Susan, and they put their heads out of the limo and they're playing Hot in the City by, by yes, Billy Idol. by Billy Idol, yes. And you can see she is an adult. She's stuffy, you know, and she's like the serious adult. And she's forgotten about the simple joys in life, you know? Yeah. And like then, he's playing, again, I, I think this scene in the version I saw was extended where he's playing with the automatic locks and then he's playing with the phone in the car and he's... He's not paying attention to her at all. Yep. No, he did all that stuff. Yep. He's in wonder of all of these, uh, of all of these gadgets in this fancy limousine because he's never been in a limo before. And as a 12 year old, you want to press the button and flip the switch and open the sunroof and step out and yell and scream. And, and And again, she doesn't even offer why he would want to do this. Yeah. He offers the fries to the driver. You guys, what you want some fries? We get there's some extra. And she's like, I'm really vulnerable right here. Like she's totally coming on to him. Right. Yeah. But so they go to his apartment and then it's even funny because she's like, do you live alone? And he's like, yeah, I do. And she automatically assumes it's because like he went through some breakup. Yeah. You know, and I love yeah, her he reaction. Says, like, uh, recently, or doesn't he say something like I, I'm, I've lived alone recently or something? Yeah. He, he implies yeah. that. Yeah. To your point, an adult who is unfamiliar with the context of, of the story of the movie would take that as I've, been, I've just recently got out of a relationship, right. but we, as the audience know, this means up until recently, he lived at home with his mom and dad. Cause he's a kid. And I love her reaction. She walks in, sees this apartment with all these toys in it. And she's yeah. like, you live here? live here. And he's like, pretty great. Isn't it? Or pretty fancy. <laughs> yeah. Or he has some retort that is totally innocent. I know. But totally inappropriate for the kind of questions she's asking. And talk about innocent. She says, you know, um, so am I going to stay here? And he's like, you mean sleep over? And she's like, yeah. sure. He's okay, sure. but I get to be on top. Yeah. And he's referring to the bunk beds. Like, yeah, of course. It's so funny. Like, you know, and all she wants is a drink. And yeah, then, she keeps and, saying, like, let's get some wine. Yeah. Let's get a drink. And, and again, it's lost on him because he doesn't understand that that would be appropriate for that social setting with two adults in that situation. And he, yeah, so. he's like, you want to try the trampoline? And she's like, you got some wine? He's like, just try it. And then she's yeah. like, bounce. she bounces once. She's like, okay, where's yeah. that drink? <laughs> like, yeah. like, so funny. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's so funny, though, because it turns out that it's not a drink that lets down her inhibitions. It's jumping on a trampoline that does it. Yeah. You yeah. know? And, and then Sharing when, in that innocence. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's such a great scene. And when it's time for bed, he goes in, up on the top bunk and she realizes nothing's going to happen here. Yeah. And he you comes know? out in full pajamas. Gobot pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> Gobot pajamas. Yeah. Yep, you're right. She's wearing the football sweater with, you assume, nothing under it. I mean, right. obviously, given the movie, you're never going to see that. But and she has that whole thing like covers off, covers on, covers off. Like she's sort of mm-hmm. like how do I present myself in a way that is appropriate given this circumstance? And in the end, it doesn't matter. He's not looking at her. He's looking at the top bunk. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, John Hurd's character. 
you know, he's got to win, right? Yeah. So he tries to humiliate Josh at, at the squash game because yeah. being, being an adult is all about competition, right? Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, so is being a kid to a certain extent, but on different levels. The whole scene in there where Josh won't give him the ball and he's like holding it away, like <laughs> yeah. it genuinely made me laugh. You know, I, I just, I don't, maybe just the whole physicality of Hanks in the moment, but it was just, it was a funny scene and it was just a real clash of the different worlds, you know? And then she's like, well, he punched you because, you know, he's scared of you. And like, and yeah. like, and he's like, I don't get it. And it, like the, the adult world is very complicated for a kid to understand. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to take a second to talk about the Elizabeth Perkins character of Susan. Oh, for sure. So this to me. This is one of the things, the more I watched the movie, the more I was frustrated with how this aged. So, I mean, she is initially presented as a woman in a position of power in this company that seems to be predominantly men, especially at the high levels. And, you know, your, your original, like my original thought was, good, hey, great, good for her. She's clearly climbed the corporate ladder and is, is uh, you know, going places that women haven't gone before in this company. Um but you very quickly find out that she's dating uh, John Hurt's character and they have a relationship because in the, one of the very first interactions with them, uh, you know, she comes in frustrated and he kisses her and it's like trying to calm her down. And and you you learn through the course of the movie that she's had a number of relationships with a number of people you assume in this company. And it, it almost implies that um, – you know, in order for her to gain this position, she has had to sleep her way to the top, quote unquote. Well, Whether she's, not, yeah, she's used sex as a tool. Yes. Right? So, I mean, uh, on its face, not cool. But at the time, you got to think, yes, there was probably a lot of that happening for better, for worse, mostly for worse, I would imagine. Um, and you, you sort of see it repeat itself where she um, finds herself attracted to Tom Hanks' character either because she's genuinely attracted or he's this up-and-comer who's come out of nowhere and been promoted to VP. And so you almost have to question her motives of, well, why does she essentially throw herself at him? Is it because she sees that, hey, if I attach my my wagon to him, I'm going to have a ride to wherever he's going or is it that she realizes that the guy she's with, she's sort of like, okay, he can't get me any farther. Or does she genuinely think like there's something about this guy I want to get to know more about. And if it takes me somewhere great and if it doesn't, I'm okay with that. It, it, it to me sort of, again, watching it from the 2020 lens, I had a lot of, um, you know, sort of moral wrestling with how this all played out. And again, it, you look back at it and go, well, it's of its time. And for its time, it was probably accurate. And that doesn't necessarily mean it was right or that it was it was appropriate, but I, I, I kind of felt bad for the situation. Again, as a white guy, I've never been in this situation, so it's hard for me to 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 be morally objected to this thing. But um, you know, that was one of the things to me that just didn't feel like it stood up well in the movie. And I think if they were to remake this, which they have a new, number of times with various slants on it, this is definitely. Um, an angle for this character that I think would not be necessary today and should definitely would definitely not need to be included. You could just say it's a company. There are men and women at the higher ends of the, of the company. And you don't necessarily need to imply that a romantic relationship is required to move up that corporate ladder. But the, there, the, I, I'm, I'm going to get off the soapbox. Yeah. 
I, I just felt that that had to be mm-hmm. said. No, no, and those are good points. I think that his relationship with her is really integral to the movie. Because, oh, I agree. Because it's, the thing is, he sees her like she's nice. You know, he, yeah, he doesn't see her as uh, as any less than an equal. If anything, he he would he looks up to her because clearly, um, when they eventually start to work together, he has to rely on her expertise and her experience to do the job that's been asked of him. So, from that point of view, I think he treats her appropriately, uh, even by today's standards. And to a lesser extent, the boss, Rob, played by Robert Loja, mm-hmm. he doesn't seem to really. Um, give her any advantage or disadvantage for being a woman. But the other male characters certainly, uh, you know, make comments and do very specific things that, that led you, that leads you to believe that it's like, these guys don't see her as an equal, even though she has the same title as them. You're right. The, the adults in this film see her differently. Than oh, Josh sure. does. Josh, like I said, sees her like she, he even says, he goes, I think you're nice. Nobody else sees her that way. I mean, right. even herself, she sees herself differently. She cares about power, status, and ambition, right? All things that mean nothing to a kid. And the kid just sees her for who she is. She's a nice person with probably a kid just trapped inside of her somewhere. Well, yeah. And I think, like you said, the relationship is important to the movie because as Josh starts to understand the world of the adult and the responsibilities that come with that – at the same time, she's starting to let go of that inhibition and and embrace more of the child nature, childlike nature that she's probably suppressed in order to be a successful corporate person. So from that point of view, the parallels, the the reciprocating parallels where, you know, you have the maturity growth of one and the uh, expansion of the immaturity in the other, both for for positive effect, I think is necessary to have that parallel. There's a great. So, yeah. And there's a great exchange between. John Hurd's character and her right near the end of the movie when he says, what's so special about Baskin? And she says, he's a grown-up. Yeah. <laughs> like, it yeah. just kind of puts things in perspective. You know, yeah. so just to kind of get, get down, you know, to the end of it, like, like the end of the film, the inevitable ends up happening, obviously. The letter comes in, you know, with the location of the Zoltar machine. And he goes back and he watches kids in his old neighborhood. And he sees the kids playing, I think, in a pile of leaves, you know, and they're getting like called yeah. in for dinner. And the thing is, just going back to what I said at the beginning of the podcast, growing up is not something that just happens suddenly. Like it's slow and usually pretty a painful process, you know, but it's a process nonetheless. And he seems to realize at this moment that the only way to really grow up, like really grow into a, a mature and responsible adult is that you have to experience everything along the way as a kid. And then as a teenager and finally as an adult, and you just can't go from playing tag one day, right to having a job and dealing with things like sexuality. So he realizes he has to go back. And he made me realize, again, just how good of a performance that Tom Hanks gives. And and again, Penny Marshall's direction, because this all takes place in a span of about 10 seconds of screen time. And it just involves Tom Hanks reflecting while he's watching kids play. And the whole thing is just reinforced for me when Susan, um, Elizabeth Perkins' character, comes in and she finds him and, and she invites him to come back. And he's like, no, you got to come with me. And she's like, I can't. I think her line was like, I've already done it once and that's enough. Yeah. 
You know, it's, it's not to say she regrets it. She doesn't. And none of us do. It's just that you have to experience everything in order to grow up. It can be painful, but once you've done it, you've done it and you move on, right? It's like the, that age old reflection that human beings make on their mortality, you know? So it, it, for me, it's like, it's going back and watching this movie 25 years later as a grown man, as an adult, it was easy for me to see just how good this movie is and how it works on so many levels that I never saw it work on before. Yeah. So let me ask you this, Chris, now yeah. that you've had a chance to rewatch it, mm-hmm. are you going to let your 10 year old son watch it? Uh, well, my wife, well, let me rephrase that yeah. question. Is your wife going to let your 10 year old no. son watch it? No, she's not. Because not only was there the, the scene, uh, where John Lovitz made the comment that I mentioned earlier, then there's the scene when he's alone with Elizabeth Perkins and she takes her shirt off and you see her bra and he touches her breast that's out. And then of course there's, um, uh, Billy's character comes, comes in and drops the F bomb. So she's yeah. like, yeah, this isn't going to happen. I have a question for you. Sure. When you were 12, would you have wanted to take the wish and be big like this character did? No, I don't think so. Again, easy for me to say now, but no, I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I grew up in a family with, you know, the, the typical, uh, mom and dad, dad work, mom was a stay at home mom. I, I never wanted for anything. My parents were fairly well off. I, I grew up in a, a very fairly well to do home. So there, there wasn't really any wanting for me. I was never in a hurry to grow up because I never felt that being an adult would give me something I lacked as a child that I felt I needed at that time. Let me ask you this then. If you were given the chance, like Elizabeth Perkins character was, would you go back to being 12 years old and do it all over again? In a second. No hesitation. I absolutely would. You would. You'd go back and do it yeah, over again? For sure. Because she wouldn't. I think a lot of people would. I think, well, so this this sort of opens up the whole what if kind of scenarios. Yeah. It's, would I have the knowledge and experience and life skills and retention of everything that I've done and just my body would res- revert to a 12-year-old and I'd have to go through it all again? Because if so, absolutely. Now, if I would go back into my own 12-year-old self and not realize what I know and it would just be like you have a chance to do it over, then probably not because there w- I wouldn't do anything differently because I wouldn't have any reason to do anything differently. And I think I think that's the difference. I guess if I could go back to being 12 again and watching like Happy Days and Alice and WKRP in Cincinnati, I, I'd do it in a second. <laughs> I'd do it every day of my life. <laughs> you know. What would you do to stop the creation of Phantom Menace – uh, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith because I know how much you dislike those. If you went back early enough that you could potentially stop those from happening or change them to be better, what would you do? <laughs> I would do everything in my power to make those <laughs> never be made. Um, do you think this movie holds up? We always ask this question, but... Aside from some of the the, the criticisms I, I already mentioned about the gender roles, I do think it holds up. It is definitely... A product of its time, but not in a bad way. Like Revenge of the Nerds doesn't hold up. It is definitely a product of its time, but there is so much inappropriateness in that. This one, I feel there's it, it's a good movie. It's a you know good slash great movie. Great performances, great script, great directing, and a, a, such a positive message that comes out of this movie overall that it definitely holds up. I think that there there are certainly some areas that if you were to remake it today, you might want to make some adjustments, just especially when it comes to the gender roles. But I think given the amount of time that's passed, that's a given. You would have to. I don't think you could ever remake this with the girl being the grown up that has an affair with a grown man. I think that would just be yeah. way creepy and inappropriate. Right. Um, 
But no, I, I do. I think it holds up, and I think that younger people watching this for the very first time are going to enjoy it. They're not going to necessarily – I mean the video game, as you mentioned, there are some things that are clearly dated. Right. But I think those things are not pivotal to the message and the the heart of the movie. I think that the the things that are of the 80s can be overlooked in order to um, – uh, forgive the the overall positive outcome of this movie. So yeah, I think I do think it holds up. Yeah, I know I'm a little bit biased because I'm the Gen X movie loving guy, but I think the passage of time has not diminished this film in any way. And I think as far as sort of fish out of water stories go, this is one of the very best. Yeah, like agreed. It, it doesn't fall into any any of the traps that a lesser film could have fallen into. Like it doesn't get overly jokey. It doesn't suffer from like a really weak ending. It doesn't lay on the schmaltz. Like it's not overly sentimental, you know, I think it just handles the material with a really deft hand. Again, big nod to both Hanks's and Marshall's talents at work here. So absolutely. Absolutely. I think if you were, if this movie got remade today in the wrong hands, I think oh, you would see ugly. a lot more jokes about, a young kid becoming an adult and you'd have a lot more like jokes about their genitalia and things of that nature yep, that are like the easy laughs that really would take away from the heart of the story. And I think that's a big reason why you don't, there's none of that in the original movie. The closest thing you have is at one point when Tom Hanks character is changing his shirt near the beginning of the movie after he becomes an adult, the, the his buddy sort of looks at his hair on his chest and he, and he says something like, yeah, it's happening all over or something. Like, it's just a one quick throwaway comment. I think that was, I think that was in the extended. That was that the extended version yeah, too? That wasn't Jeez, in the okay. one I watched. But, but uh, yeah, it's like, it, it, it's not, it wasn't a big part of the movie and it didn't need to be. Mm -hmm. It was clear that he was 12 year old and now he's what, like 20s, early 30s? Like, like 30, yeah. being a kid to being Tom Hanks. Yeah. You, you understand, you just hand wave it and say, Okay, he's a grown man. Clearly, he's going to have grown man parts. We don't have to talk about it. We right. don't have to go for the cheap laugh. There's a bigger story at play here. Let's just enjoy that. So the rating out of 10, you'd give it? Probably an 8 or 8.5. Eight mm -hmm. I would be exactly with you. 8 or 8.5. Yeah. We agree 100% on this movie. That's great. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes for boring radio, but yeah, uh, well, I mean, it's a good movie. Makes for, it makes for a good look back. Yeah. I mean, if people haven't seen it. If they haven't seen it before, I would strongly say to take a look. If you haven't seen it in a while, I think it's worth another watch yeah, because I think I you're going to get a lot out of it. And despite the fact that you and your wife maybe at this point don't feel that your 10-year-old is old enough to watch it, I think give a couple years. I think your kids would enjoy it if they are about the same age as the kids that are in the movie. So how are they supposed to be, 12, 13? So let's give your kids a couple more years. And I think that watching this movie, they're going to they're gonna enjoy it a lot. They're going to get a lot out of it. And, and like we said at the outset – I think a kid watching this movie for the first time at age 12 or 13 is going to see this movie differently than you and I watching this movie for the first time yep. as 20, 30 year olds. I agree. I agree hundred percent. Okay. So on that note, let's have some fun with caveman. Okay. So it's over to you this week, which means I'm going to be on the reciprocating end of the trivia. So I think maybe that might call for me to actually have a drink for this. So what have you got lined up, my friend? All right. So as you as you mentioned earlier in the movie, there have been a number of we'll call them body swapping films. And in, in most cases, they are comedies. And right. in the hold on, I need to oh, I need to open a beverage for this. There you go. OK. Go and ahead. in the mid 80s, there were a lot of them. Mm -hmm. So I've gone through and pulled a list of I think it's 11 or 12 on my list. 
that fall into this category. Again, most comedies, but not all. And in some cases, the the idea was so popular, they have made and remade some of these ones over and over again. And so I'm going to ask you some questions. I'm going to ask you to identify the body swap. I'll call them body swapping. In some cases, it's going to be like this one where it's a kid becomes a grown up or a grown up becomes a kid or the man becomes the girl and the girl becomes the man or whatever it might be. That is the common thread of these questions. All of these movies have some sort of character swapping element to the story and uh and we'll go from there and i think some of them you you might know and maybe you're going to blank on the title other ones because they're a little newer you may just have never heard of but uh we'll see we'll see where we go from here we'll see how you do so you're ready to uh you ready for this okay Uh, the first two i think are sort of law balls because i think we talked about both of these in the course of our discussion so uh, the first one in this 1996 film, okay. one of the actors who was originally considered for the league lead role in big plays a 10 year old boy who has the body of a 40 year old man due to a genetic disorder. Name the movie. And that was 96, 96. So you probably haven't seen it, but I'm hoping the, the little big wink, wink hint might help. Uh, I don't know. The answer is Jack. And the actor was Robin Williams, who, believe it or not, was one of the people considered to play Josh. In oh, Vegas. wow. Yeah. All right. Uh, this one, uh, this one, I need two movies in the answer, and I'm going to read you the question. So in 1987, Dudley Moore and Kirk Cameron are father and son who swap bodies. Not to be outdone, the concept is recycled one year later in 1988 when Judge Reinhold and Fred Savage are the father and son duo to swap bodies. Yes. I want you to name both movies and specify which one is which. So Like Father, Like Son is Dudley Moore's movie. And Vice Versa was Judge Reinhold's movie. You're correct. You're correct, Uncle. Nicely done. (laughs) Yes. Okay, here we go. Okay, now some of these I know are a little newer. You may not know them, but I'm going to throw them at you anyway. Uh, I'll do my best. Okay, this one's from 2002. In this body-swapping comedy, Mm -hmm. Saturday Night Live alumnus Rob Schneider switches bodies with the exceptionally attractive Rachel McAdams. Name the movie. I've never seen it, but I'm pretty sure it's called The Hot Chick. Yes, it is. It is called The Hot Chick. So stupid. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but the trailer looked dumb. Rob Schneider sucks. All right. This one, uh, okay, I got some comments about this after I ask you the question. So, okay, in this 1991 comedy, a sexist womanizer is killed by one of his former lovers and then reincarnated as a woman played by Ellen Barkin. Her former friend, Jimmy Smits, takes advantage of her and the two have a baby together. Name the 1991 film. I have no idea. Okay, it's called The Switch. Never heard of it. So it it I, I remember seeing it on video years and years ago, and the whole idea is that the male character that Ellen Barkin uh, was before she became a woman and Jimmy Smits are like these two really sleazy womanizers who like hit on women and lie to women and then take them home and, and have sex with them. And so when he comes back as Ellen Barkin, Jimmy Smits can't see past the fact that this attractive woman was once his friend who was a dude. He just doesn't believe it. And of course, he takes advantage of her. He gets her drunk. He brings her home. He has sex with her. And she's like, dude, like, what the hell? And he's like, oh, yeah, you totally wanted it. It's like, it is so inappropriate. And then she ends up having this baby, which is a big part of the story. And uh, yeah, does not hold up by any stretch of the imagination. So anyway, 
onto something a little more uh, uh, light and humorous. Okay, 2004. In this 2004 film, a 13-year-old girl makes a wish on her birthday and wakes up the next day as her older self, played by Jennifer Garner. Oh, Jennifer pines, Garner's movie. Oh, I saw pines for her boyfriend, who is now played by Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. I've, I don't watch a lot of new movies, but I remember watching that. Was, it was 13 going on 30. I really liked that movie a lot. Jennifer Garner was so great in that movie. And they have the whole thriller dance sequence. Which, oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was it was one of these fun ones. Yeah. Okay. Uh, similar theme, genders genders changed. In this 2009 film, Matthew Perry from Friends has a chance to help his kids as they struggle through high school when he transforms into his younger self, played by Zac Efron. Name the movie. I have no idea. It's called 17 Again. And if you believe that oh, Matthew like Perry ever had the body of Zac Efron, you are on the same drugs that Matthew Perry was on in the 90s. Jeez. Oh, just a rip off of 18 again, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, this, okay, this one, I, I'm kind of hoping you get this one because we may have to watch this movie at some point in the not too distant future. This 1999 film, okay. which was nominated for three Academy Awards, including Best Director and Best Screenplay, stars John Cusack and Cameron Diaz and as they are able to enter the body of a two-time yeah. Oscar-nominated ask- actor who is uh, whose name is a part of the title of the film. I've seen this movie, actually, and it was actually one of the most bizarre films I've ever seen, but it was also quite interesting. It was Being John Malkovich. Yes, I remember that movie. Yeah, it was strange. I remember seeing it in the theater with my wife. All right. Um, in this, I remember like all the, the offices and stuff they worked in were like really small and like narrow and they had to like crouch. Yeah. Down. They were on the seven and a half floor. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's an easy one. And I mean, like if you get this wrong, you got to hand in your pop culture license. Okay. This 1988 comedy in this 1988 comedy, George Burns gets to inhabit the body of his grandson played by Charlie Schlatter. Well, that was, um, 18 again. <laughs> Yeah, which you just mentioned. Yeah. So I'm like, this is an easy one. Okay. Uh, I got two more to go here, uh, sure. both of which I think you're going to get. These are both questions which require uh, two movie answers. In the 2003 version of this body-swapping comedy, it's Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan who trade places. Okay. But in the 1976 original, it's Barbara Harris and Jodie Foster who okay. swap bodies. Yeah. Got it. Same name for both movies. What is it? It, it was the Jodie Foster one that got me. It's Freaky Friday. Yes, yes, yes. yes. So, yeah, Freaky Friday from 2003 and Freaky Friday from 1976. I've seen the 1976 version. I liked it a lot. I have not seen the 2003 version. I'm with you. I haven't. I have not seen the 2003 one either. All right. And here's a, here's another one. I think I want two movies out of this answer. I think one of them is going to be an easy one. I think the other one you're just not going to get because it's a little too new for you. Okay. The original 1978 film starred Warren Beatty as a Los Angeles Rams quarterback accidentally taken away from his body by an overanxious angel before he was meant to die who gets to return to life in the body of a recently murdered millionaire. In the 2001 remake, it's Chris Rock who comes back as an old white man who falls in love with Oscar winner Regina King. I want the name of both movies. Okay, now you got me because heaven can wait. Yes, is the one from 1978. I love that movie. Oh, it's so good. It was nominated for Best Picture. It's such a good movie. I thought you were going to go with the old one, which was Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Um, But the new one was Down down to Earth. 
Yeah, it was down there. Yes, sir. Oh, you got it. Yes, got it. Good job. Yay. Good job. I'm sure you were not, not going to get that one. So. I like I say, I thought you were going to go with the older was like here comes Mr. Jordan from like the 30s. Oh. Like, I've oh. actually never seen Heaven Can Wait. I honestly am not oh, a big fan of so and this one. 78 is a little before my time. I have seen the Chris Rock one. It was okay. I mean, I like Chris Rock. I like Regina King. So they had my money, and I'm pretty yeah. sure I saw this one in the theater actually. Uh, yeah, it was, it was just the Chris Rock one. I think I caught part of it on TV once, and it was it's okay. But uh, Heaven Can Wait. I think you would be actually shocked at how good it is. It's so good. So okay, I'll, I'll take your word for it. But uh, yeah. Anyway, was... uh, speaking of movies, um, it is your turn to nominate our next film to watch. Uh, what have you got up your sleeve for me? All right, in uh, August of 2014. During phase two of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. we were introduced to a whole new band of characters nobody had ever heard of before in the film Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. directed by James Gunn. Guardians of the Galaxy stars Chris Pratt, Zoe Saldana, uh, Bradley Cooper, uh, Dave Bautista, the voice of Vin Diesel, uh, Michael Rooker, John C. Riley, Glenn Close, Benicio Del Toro. It has a huge cast. And yet it's a it's a property that when it came out, people are going, who the hell are the Guardians of the Galaxy? Never heard of it. Even comic fans were like, never heard of them. And this movie became a, a fast fan favorite. And they've made one sequel so far and the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. The third part, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, is I believe in production right now. And of, of all the Marvel movies, this one is definitely in my... I would say top five, maybe even top three. I, I really, really like this one. I know you have already seen Iron Man. We made you watch that one a little while back. Yes, that was the very it was good. Of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that was before they had any aspirations for where could this franchise as a movie crossover franchise go. So it, it was a pretty good standalone movie. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, there was a lot of questions when it came out about how is this going to interact with the other movies? Because it, it really doesn't. And it wasn't until some of the other movies came out that you sort of went, oh, okay, that ties back into the other one. So Guardians is a a really good standalone movie. It does a really good job of taking characters very few people were familiar with and turning them into main stage, main staple superheroes. And but the movie is very tongue in cheek in that it realizes and totally understands that the audience is probably have has no idea who any of these characters are so they really have a lot of fun with how they introduce and develop these characters i really think you're going to like it uh for a lot of reasons which i won't go into any more detail now because i don't want to spoil it anymore i hope you like it if you don't i want to hear why give it a watch uh, i'm not available to record next week so it'll be at least two weeks before we get back on the air so you got lots of time i think this one's still on netflix right now I look forward to hearing what you have to say about Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to like it because, <laughs> I, like I say, I liked Iron Man and my kid. Seemed, my kid has watched Guardians of the Galaxy 2 for sure. I don't know if he's seen the first one, but either way, I'll watch it with him. And I, he, it's appropriate for him. He's 10. Uh, the first one? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's certainly violence and shoot 'em ups but it's a PG-13 movie or a PG movie, so you don't see blood and stuff. You just see like lasers and guys fall down, which oh, I'm sure he sees on TV already. Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think you'll like it. Um, 
Yeah, let's hear what let's hear what you have to say about it. All we'll right. come back. In two we weeks will come back. We will come back in two weeks. So you're going away. Whereabouts are you going? Sorry, on your holiday. I'm going to Punta Cana in the oh, Dominican nice. Republic for a nice oh. all-inclusive vacation. I will still be here in Canada, where it's really, really cold and lots of snow. So don't worry. Um, but if you'd like to reach out to Derek, you'll find him on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. You'll find me on Twitter at C McBrien and PopGoesYourWorld.com, of course, is our website with all of our contact information. Join us next week and when we talk about Guardians of the Galaxy, see how I like that movie. And until then, it's Chris McBrien for Derek Myers saying, thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 